Welcome to Connected. My name is Mia. I'm your host and the founder of Connected AU. This podcast, Connected, is here to give you the beautiful feeling of community in your ears. I will be chatting with some incredible people and the aim is just for you to feel as though you are sitting with us, having a cup of tea and good conversation. There are no bells and whistles on this podcast. It isn't scripted and doesn't have any crazy producing. It's just good conversation and we are so glad you are here. Welcome to this week's episode. We are so lucky this week to welcome our guest, Bryony Benjamin. Bryony is a keynote speaker, author, storyteller, advocate, cancer survivor. She has a finance degree, loves performance art, went to film school, founded a speech and drama school, and I feel like is summed up most succinctly by the phrase, live life to the fullest. Bryony, your introduction is longer than most, but I wanted to include all that. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's so lovely to be here. It really is a long intro, but it's just because you have just had a lot of experience. And <laughs> had a varied life <laughs> so far. Yeah, but all of it's so interesting and I'm sure has built you to what you are doing right now. So our first question I just would love to ask, the idea behind this podcast that we're doing is just to give more connection to our really large community. So we have a really large community connected AU and They love all of our programs as letters and clubs and events, but the podcast is just a way to give people a bit more connection in the lead up to Christmas. So feel like they are just sitting down with us having a cup of tea. So it's really simple. And the tea part is just pretty essential, I think, because it's pretty much the lifeblood, isn't it? In Australia, you sit down and have a cup of tea and have a chat with someone. So I would would love to know if this has been a part of your life, the sitting down, having a catch up with people over a cup of tea. Yeah, it's interesting. I was working at Mamma Mia for a time and Mia Friedman, who I was working with, who's just amazing and quite a force. Her thing is was always her break time was going to the kitchen, having a cup of tea. I think that's her meditation, her time out because she never stops and her brain never stops. And so I always remember observing that and thinking, yeah, actually, it's a really good just pause point. And I could see her just dipping the tea bag. And that was just that time to be mindful and slow down for a human who's just go. But yeah, like personally, I didn't actually ever like tea until I went and did my gap year in the middle of North Yorkshire in a tiny little town called Giggleswick. And I froze all year. So I got really into tea just as a survival mechanism, really, to stay warm. But you know, the conversations then you have over the water cooler around the kettle, I think it's a beautiful yeah, way just to come together and take that little bit of time out and have that breather. And it is, for some reason, it's When you do sit, not necessarily a cup of tea, but when you're sitting down doing something like that, you're more relaxed into the conversation, I think, or it lets people open up and and really stop and have a chat. So, oh, that's interesting that you didn't love tea. I feel like you probably also might have been pretty forced to do it over there. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It was just like uh, when I got to North Yorkshire, I had never drunk alcohol and I didn't drink tea and they were just like, why are you even here? <laughs> like, what's the point? So I learned quickly. Look, one of the most compelling things that I think about you from my perspective, and I was going to put it in the intro, but it was too long, is that it appears to me that everything you do, all of these projects and journeys you've been on, you are so passionate about life and you infuse joy and humor into everything. Even just this so far since we've been chatting, have you actively thought to do that or is it just the way you've been your whole life? It's a really good question. I think I was always drawn to creativity and to theatre because, as you mentioned, I studied a commerce degree. I did finance to begin with and then studied a bunch of subjects around carbon trading. That's when I really had my climate awakening. And I remember just thinking, I don't think 
being a carbon accountant is my jam. Like I don't think that's the best way I can contribute to this. I've always operated from the basis that I think the vast majority of people are really good humans. They want the best for their family, for their communities, for their planet, but they're busy, they're distracted, they might not be across the info, they're overwhelmed. And so I thought I just remember at the time seeing so many environmental groups and all these causes I was very passionate about, but just overwhelming people further. And I was like, I don't think that's the way. How can we actually use joy and use humour? It's the quickest way to get to someone, isn't it? And to bring people over on an issue when it is a bit tricky or a bit divisive. I think if you can use humour to diffuse. And then certainly for me, I'm sure we'll go into it down the track, but when I got thrown my huge curveball, I just knew that I could really slip into a heaviness with it, but that was going to just make the whole journey really hard. And so, yeah, how to navigate that balance without brushing everything aside and just pretending, oh, let's just have a laugh the whole way through. But how can joy and humour, we know it's good for us, we know it, but I do, I just think you can say things through a humorous light way that you just can't say otherwise and you can connect with people in a way that bring them around. Yeah, and jumping straight to that must have been an experience, a shock, an absolute shock, young, to have something like that happen. Of course, naturally, yeah, it would just be shocking and devastating, but it's so interesting that you were able to, was it early on, really say to yourself, I'm going to attack this in a certain way? Yeah, and so for context for anyone listening, basically like I was working at Mamma Mia uh, I was head of video at the time, executive producer there, having a great time, but I just felt rotten all the time. And my parents were on my case because they just thought, this doesn't, you don't seem yourself. I was sick, I was exhausted all the time, kept getting told I was stressed. Actually, it turns out it wasn't stress and it wasn't that I was really bad at my job, which was where I was getting, I was like, maybe I'm just not cut out for a busy life in Sydney. I had stage four cancer, like spread all through my body, a blood cancer, Hodgkin's lymphoma. And yeah, I remember like the first day, this beautiful girlfriend of mine, Marike, she's Dutch, and she had been through a major mental breakdown, which she's now written about and helps people through that. But she said to me, not all things have to be understood, just accepted. And it was so powerful and so helpful. I use it all the time for things now. But so having that acceptance piece early on, and then once I'd accepted it, going, okay, accept it. I'm going to sit with it. I'm not going to try and understand the ins and outs and why I was misdiagnosed for a year and blah, blah, blah. But now if I have to do this anyway, how can I make this as light as possible? And I think too with my background working in campaigning, working in climate change, working on these big overwhelming complex issues sometimes, they're not going to be solved in maybe even in my lifetime. They're not going to be solved quickly. But I love the idea I came across it. Last year when I was at Purpose Conference, Matt Vickers was speaking and he just said, we have to cultivate the ability to hold on to heavy things lightly. And I thought that was just so powerful because you get sucked into the vortex. And for me, it was a balance of, because I think initially I was like, I'm going to be Pollyanna and be so positive. And that's not helpful. (laughs) But being sucked down into the vortex isn't helpful either. So how do you find a balancing point. And that's what I talk about a lot in my work now is how do you how do you navigate through these things without brushing it under the rug, allowing yourself to feel how you feel, but not letting it drown you. It would be the defining experience in your life. I know you've done so many wonderful and incredible things, but I'm sure that moment, and is it as simple as a blood test that was missed or 
I mean, yeah, I had blood test after blood test. The thing with Hodgkin's lymphoma and some blood cancers, there's no sort of pre-screening you can do. It was missed and missed. It's quite a unique thing. Yeah, too. missed and missed. So, so with blood cancers, and that's why I'm ambassador for the Leukemia Foundation now. I'm really passionate about raising awareness because 53 Australians are diagnosed every day with a blood cancer, and yet most Australians don't know the signs and symptoms, and that can be a huge range of things. But for me, it was I was having night sweats night after night. I had itchy skin. I had a cough. I was just getting sick all the time. I felt really lethargic and tired all the time. It was just this pervasive tiredness I just couldn't ever get over. We did all sorts of tests. They thought I had a parasite. They thought I was just stressed. I was told to meditate. I was told to rest more. And I've since learned that women are far more likely to have cancer actually ascribed to mental health symptoms. I had a beautiful friend who I've met since she had lymphoma as well, but she had a tumour that was so large in her chest that it had punctured her lung. So her lung had actually collapsed. She couldn't breathe and she was being told she was anxious. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you would be a bit anxious, wouldn't you, when you can't breathe? So but many people would relate to that. Yeah, so it's, it's my biggest message now to men and women, but particularly to women, that you actually have to be quite assertive and you can still be kind because I think for me, I remember my dad saying, you've got to go in there and really say, this isn't good enough, I need another answer. And I thought, I'm just never going to be like that. But I really wish if I could go back in time, I would have really pressed my GPs because I went to multiple doctors as well who all told me I was fine. And so you do start to think, oh, gosh, maybe I am just depressed or like, yeah, man. But I was like, deep down I knew. Like, and, that, and that's the thing I think I say to people now, you know your body, you know yourself. Like I knew I wasn't depressed, but the symptoms all start to become the same. I remember getting a, an invite to a girlfriend's wedding and my first thought was, oh, gosh, it's going to be so much energy. And I actually say that, like that kind of shift in goal setter. It was the first year I just sat down to write my goals. And I remember speaking with like a life coach at the time. I was like, all I can think about is just wanting to rest and sleep. For a lot of people, that can actually be an early symptom of cancer. It's like that change in in mindset, that change in mood, not being excited to go to a dear friend's wedding, like that should be a red flag. But yeah, so so I just say now, if we could go back in time, I would just press more and I'd say, okay, this isn't good enough. This is actually having a really big impact on my life. What next? What else can we do? Yeah. My dad's a vet and mum was just on my case. They rang my GP, they rang my doctor. And I think the doctor's thinking, who's this 31-year-old millennial snowflake with her parents calling up the doctor? But they were just so worried. And they insisted that I went and saw a hematologist who's a specialist in being able to look at your bloods. And that was when I went and had that appointment the next week. It was the first time I realized that someone had taken my pain and my situation seriously. I remember her just looking at me. I said, I'm waking up every night like drenched in sweat. I'm aching. I'm sick. I like really struggling to just get to work on time every day. And she said, oh, wow. So this is having a really big impact on your life. And I went, yeah, actually. Like it was the first person to validate that for me. I think as women, we are tough. I think, you know, dealing with periods and childbirth, all these things, like we have high pain thresholds. We just, women put up with a lot of crap in the world and you just you just pull it together and keep going. Men are the same. Men, like, I know my dad's like the last person to go to the doctor when required. But yeah, I just think if you know something is up and feels off, even if everyone is telling you you're fine, I say now to everyone, take fastidious notes, 
and become a really great record keeper so that when you go into, because you know what it's like, you often go in, how often have you been to the GP and you leave and you think, oh, and I forgot to ask them about that thing on my toe. Or So you've just got to keep really good notes and go in with a laundry list of questions. Make the use of that time because I now realise GPs, they're used to seeing the worried well, people who are worried, but they're well. And so if you are not well, you really have to be quite insistent and demanding and you can still do it in a lovely way with your nice manner, but you've got to be on their case. Yeah, and look, that's probably an issue and a movement you can take up later when you need something else to do about in women and healthcare. But it's such a story that you've had. I'm sure also it would have been a strangely ironic experience to be dealing with her. I'm presuming she finally broke the news to you, or maybe it was quick. Maybe it was a quick from there, but that you would have felt a bit of a relief. In fact. Oh, total relief. Like it's an awful relief because you're like, oh, my God, I have cancer. Like it's the most surreal moment of your life. But also this kind of like, oh, thank God there's an answer. I did get to this point where I thought maybe this is just what being an adult feels like. You just feel tired and stressed and a bit shitty all the time. And that is a depressing thought. (laughs) I tell you what, maybe I'm just going to always feel like this because I'm getting old. I was living in Sydney at the time. All my friends are all young professionals are all living these like jam-packed lives. And I, I remember that year I'd say in the lead up, I'd be like, I'm so tired. And everyone would say to me, oh, I know, I'm so tired. Hey, And I had a lot of friends after I got diagnosed be like, I'm so sorry for always being like, yeah, I'm so tired too. I was like, yeah, I win. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. But it's wonderful that you were able to turn it around mentally. Do you think that your mindset, being able to control how you approached it, did influence the way you experienced it and your health journey and and the outcome? Oh, 100%. I think I was fortunate to have excellent medical care. I had an amazing support network around me. But I do think, and I've since done like a program called The Lightning Process, actually, which I highly recommend to anyone. I saw you share that. Yeah, dealing with anything chronic or ongoing because I dealt with really debilitating chronic fatigue for about four years after chemo. And that was a game changer for me. And that was just all about rewiring neural pathways. It was all about how our thoughts influence our physiology. So I now just have such a belief in the power of our mind to influence our physical. And medicine looks at the two very differently. We treat the mind over here. We treat the body over here. But as they explain when you go through the course, we have the most incredible body of research called placebo. Every drug ever gets tested against a placebo And in the vast majority of cases, placebos are as as effective as the drug because you believe that it's doing it. I can't remember the exact stat, but, you know, it's like 50% is effective or whatever it might be. And so, yeah, that was really interesting for me doing that three-day course. I literally left it going, I don't have chronic fatigue. (laughs) So it was amazing. So I think, yeah, mindset is just huge and so important and underrated and probably the medical profession are just so busy getting you in and out and keeping you alive and that's their job but it's so important to seek out all avenues that you can to really support your mental health and your just emotional health through that time. Absolutely one of the questions I was going to ask you so obviously we're about connection that's what Connected AU really does and focuses on and so we see every day thousands of people in the programs and that connection can mean different things to different people. You can be connected to yourself, your family, your animals, your community, religion. And so with other guests that we've chatted to, it's been unique things that they're connected to. And we had the beautiful Bronte Campbell and underwater connection was something we chatted about because I imagined that 
that she's swum her whole life. And so for her, the sensation of being under the water, I'm sure she has this special connection. And so for you, I mean, we could actually talk about connection in so many ways because you've had so many experiences. But in that experience, your health journey, connection to your body would have been something that you probably didn't ever really think about before you're in that crisis. Yeah. And I and I don't think you, when you're young, you just think you're invincible. The idea of cancer or something like that is just so foreign and so far away. You just never think that's going to be something that impacts on your life. And yeah, definitely a greater connection and appreciation for my body is one of the biggest takeouts from the whole experience. Yeah, yeah completely. Uh, I write about it in my book, but, you know, imagine if you were given a, a car at 18 and they said, this is your vehicle for life. This is the one car you get. This is going to be getting you from A to B till you're 100. Imagine how you'd look after it. You'd put the best fuel in it. You'd get it serviced once a week. You'd be out there polishing it. And yet we get this one vehicle for life. It determines everything. Like you, you've probably heard that expression before. I think it's a sort of a Chinese proverb. It said, the well person has a million dreams, the sick person has one. And we so often just take it completely for granted. I think now too, like going back to talking about goal setting actually, which I love, but I used to always set all my goals and then like right down the bottom at like point 10 would be like, keep healthy and exercise. Well, it's always number one now. Number one is always health and well-being, and everything comes after that because I'm like, well, without that, how do any of these other things happen? So it's been a real gear shift in that front. Which it's so good. It's just wonderful that you can just have that positive takeaway from it, really making the best out of a bad situation. In terms of the other connection, when I was thinking about you and all of your experiences, another connection or connection to you, especially with your book experience, and so for people that haven't haven't discovered it yet, go and find it, that's a different type of connection to your story as you're putting it down and it's this vulnerable experience, but then also connection to readers. You have really opened up this entire community through that art of, of storytelling. I think with my background as a producer and a viral video creator, I'm always thinking it from the perspective of who is this person that's going to watch this thing? What do they need? What's going to make them share it? What's going to make them laugh? What's going to make them feel something? I think a lot of books are written just like, this is what I want to say. Whereas for me, I was like, what does this person need? And and that person really was me on the day I was diagnosed. So I was very clear on who I was writing it for. This was the book I would have loved to have had on that first day because I got given a lot of books when I first got sick and they were black and white and they were dense and they were overwhelming and I just I was scared of them. I didn't even want to open them because I didn't know what they contained. So I wanted to create something that felt really light and literally it's bright and colourful. Every page is colourful. So joyful. Joyful, yeah, a joyful but without coding it. I describe it sometimes as your best friend in a book, someone who's been there, done that, They're not going to gloss over it and be like, you'll be fine, just be positive. Like it's real talk, but it's going to just helpfully step you through. So I basically sat down to be like, here are the 100 ideas that I found most helpful that got me through this thing and take what you will from it. And it's not just about cancer. It's really for anyone going through any kind of challenging times. And to speak to what you said about connection, I mean, I just get the most beautiful messages from people on a weekly basis from all over the world, which is just has been the most extraordinary privilege of my life to know that. And I must say people that have gone through far worse, not that it's a competition, but far more horrific and difficult things than I ever went through. But my words are helping them in their time of most need. Like that is just the most wonderful feeling. Well, it's so empowering and you're predicting what I'm asking, but I was something else that I had 
thought of was that you hear that shared experiences really create a special bond and special connections when you share a really unique experience with someone. And that's exactly what you've just said is that other people who've shared this experience with you have a special connection with you and your words. And it would be quite empowering to be getting this feedback now and how what you've lived through and and written about is really impacting people across the world. Across the world. Yeah. It's incredible. It's just such a privilege really. And to turn something so that was personally really difficult and a challenging time into something that has been helpful to others has just been a beautiful thing to put out into the world. I got a message uh, a few weeks ago from a beautiful man who lost his gorgeous wife to breast cancer and he just said to me, he reached out and just said she loved your book and it really helped her and she asked me when I was ready to sit down and read it as well and she had just passed away and he was going on his first holiday without her and he said, and I'm sitting down and I'm reading the book and it's really helping. And it was just, what a beautiful message to get. Mm. That's quite overwhelming, I think, to be getting that. Yeah, but I must say it, it it's never um, burdened me. me. Like I, I just feel so honoured that people want to share that with me. And because most people I find, they find me through the book, so they're coming to me going, this is really helpful, rather than they're not coming to say, how do I do this or how do I do do with that because it's all there in the book. Like everything I'd want to say is is already there, which is a lovely thing. So it's just a thank you. Yeah, yeah. Really, which is so beautiful. Look at now for our beautiful people listening, you're 37 weeks pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. the most exciting time of your life, first baby. The connection to the future, that's something else I thought about with you. How are you feeling now with this after what you experienced stage four? The future is very different now to what it was. It is, yeah, and I suppose my message to anyone listening that's going through a really tough time right now would be when you're in the thick of it, it's hard to see that there's a life on the other side of it. I think sometimes I go back to even two years ago before I'd met my beautiful partner and now fiancé, I was still struggling with chronic fatigue. I was feeling quite lost in the world. The book had come out, which was lovely, but I just I felt exhausted all the time. The thought of having family or meeting someone that I'd ever want to spend more than a few weeks with was just completely overwhelming and just completely out of reach. And I think that message I would leave people with is sometimes life can turn out way better than you expect and you actually just have to keep hope and you have to keep scanning for the good because if you look for the bad, you will find it everywhere. And I went through a particularly bad breakup a few years ago, I remember, and I remember just being so angry about it and so upset at this person and now I just think, oh, thank goodness that didn't work out because it led me to this most perfect, beautiful, amazing human. So it's, the universe has a funny way of working itself out, I think, sometimes. And I've always loved that expression. I think it's by the Dalai Lama, but it's like sometimes not getting what you want is a wonderful stroke of good luck. <laughs> so good luck, bad luck, who knows? We don't know. We don't know. So you've, yeah, scan for the good, scan for the good. It is that rewiring of the thoughts. I remember I got to the point where I was so angry still about that that breakup, for example, and just stewing on it. And I thought, wow, the energy I'm putting out to the universe here, this is not going to get me the life that I want to lead. And I remember, once again, I love quotes, obviously, but coming across that quote, have you ever read, holding a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die? And it is, you're like, I'm just draining myself here of energy I don't actually even have in the first place. It's so unhelpful and unproductive and this is not getting me to a good life. And so I remember just thinking, 
every time I have this thought about this person, I'm just going to rewire it and think I'm going to meet someone amazing. I'm going to meet someone amazing. Imagine the shift in energy that puts out to the universe rather than like stewing like a little storm cloud walking around going, I've been so wronged. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Well, things become toxic, don't they, if you let them and you think about them for long enough in that way. I think it's a balance though and sometimes I think positivity or the, the the pressure to be always just think about it positively and be positive is too much as well. I think what you have said is just perfect, which is just controlling your thoughts and if something is upsetting or done something. Mm. Absolutely, just try and control your thoughts. You don't have to be positive. You just have to be not negative, I suppose, is how I would do it. Or Yeah, yeah like neutral. Have you heard of that thing about neutral thinking, which I loved? It was created by this guy, I think it's Trevor Moad, and he was a coach to some of the most elite, like, American sportsmen. Like, guys are getting paid 40 million bucks a year to catch up football, for goodness sakes. But he would talk about positive thinking, not always possible, not always helpful. Negative, never helpful. But can you think neutrally? So in a time of crisis, or on the football field, this was, but rather than, oh, God, what what have I done? Like, that, I, I, switching that thought to, okay, that's happened, now I'm going to do this, and we're just going to keep trucking forward. And I really love that. I'd never come across that idea before, just thinking neutrally on about something. I love that. And I think everyone's just so different, our brains and our personalities. So I think I've always just luckily had that. I don't dwell on things. So if something happens, I actually automatically start thinking, well, how do you, what's the next thing then? Like not necessarily, oh, that's really bad. How do I do it? It's more just, oh, that just happened and how do I deal with it now? So that's just been natural for me, but I definitely have friends and family who really struggle with the, yeah, their negative responses or feelings, which is totally valid. Like your feelings are really valid. It's just figuring out how do you. Yeah. And giving yourself a time frame that you're allowed to feel like that. It doesn't mean don't feel it, but decide, do you want to stay in this state for a minute, for an hour, for a week, for a year? Like you decide, you know, because like life is short you get to choose. Absolutely you do. Yeah. It's also resilience. I think another big thing for me out of your story and who you are is just resilience and the human capability, I suppose, and your mind. And you really are like a lived experience of all of these wonderful mental health initiatives and advice and strategies. And you've actually lived a lot of it Mm, mm. coming from you. And that's obviously why your advocacy and mentoring in these books, and it probably just lands differently on people because of your perspective. Completely. And the other thing I was going to share when we were talking about like dwelling on things or allowing yourself to feel what you're feeling, the tool I found the most helpful when I was going through treatment was actually journaling. So I became quite obsessed with journaling. I would, I mean, when you're on chemo, you you wake up very early because the drugs make sleep very hard. So I was living my my best life in the fact that I was like up at 4am. I always wanted to be this kind of person that gets up at 4am. I'm definitely not that person anymore. But I'd get up at 4am and I would journal. And the idea um, of the morning pages that was created by Julia Cameron, who wrote The Artist's Way, is that it's just a brain dump. So it's just getting everything that's in your head and you just stream of consciousness, write it and get it out. And so in terms of what we were talking about with allowing yourself to feel how you're feeling – that is a really brilliant tool and strategy because it's like you can whinge and moan if you like for three pages. You can get it all out. And the idea is it doesn't mean you're a bad person. doesn't mean you're a negative Nancy. You're just getting the cloud of thoughts from your head and you're putting them somewhere where you can organize them and make sense from them. And that I didn't really realize it at the time. I stumbled across it accidentally because a girlfriend had put me onto it once again, my lovely Dutch friend again. But it's it's a really therapeutic tool when you're going through a challenging time because 
it is. It's just like Julia Cameron describes it as spiritual windshield wipers. It just helps you to like get clarity and just clear the muck out so you can face the day. Does it feel as though you're taking the weight off your shoulders? Like if something's heavy on you, like you're giving it to a book or a journal, but does that even make you feel lighter? Exactly. So I always think speaking it out loud with someone that you trust or a counsellor or a psychologist is really great, but sometimes you're not ready. It's like rehearsal for those conversations. Sometimes you're not ready to say things out loud like that. And the only disclaimer I would say is if you're finding you are coming back to the same thing over and over day after day, maybe put the journaling on pause. But otherwise, it really just gives you a chance to get it out somewhere. And the idea is that over time it gives you clarity around what you're feeling. And the thing I found really interesting about journaling, I don't know why, but, you know, I think you can tell yourself all manner of things in your head. You can convince yourself, oh, no, that's fine. I'm actually fine about that. When it comes to putting pen to paper, you cannot lie. I don't know what it is, but I couldn't anyway. Like, it's like, whether it's something to do with your life, I'm recording this, like, what if I die and someone finds this? But it's, yeah, it's this funny thing when the rubber hits the road, when the pen's on the paper, it's really hard to lie. So I think it makes you just be quite honest with how you're feeling. Yeah. Is it maybe because it's not for anyone else? Yeah. When you're in a conversation with someone, a friend, even a therapist, you probably speak knowing that someone's listening to that. (laughs) And I always want to like, when I was doing some counselling, I was like, I want her to like me and not think I'm like an emotional wreck. And I remember her saying to me at one point, this counsellor I was seeing after chemo, she's like, are you trying to like protect me from like, <laughs> your, you don't have to do that in here. I was like, oh no, but like, I want to get an A triple plus in this. Yeah. Whereas for, the, I mean, in your journal, it's literally, there's no reason to lie. No one's going to read it. No, hopefully not. <laughs> she got a crazy person around. <laughs> yeah. Well, have you ever gone back and read them or do you have them? Still? Yeah. So, I mean, the idea with the morning pages in the book, The Artist Way, Julia Cameron, it steps you through 12 weeks of doing it but asks that you don't read anything till I think it's about like eight week, eight, week eight or nine. And then she says, okay, now go back and look and read. But the idea is just get it out and then you have some time to go back and reflect. Some people like to then burn their journals. I'm a massive hoarder, so I don't. But also because I'm now a writer and I like collecting my ideas and thoughts, and I find it really interesting to go back and just get this little snapshot back into where you were at and what you were thinking and how you were feeling about things. And historical reference and just with your baby and children and the future, I suppose, having records yeah. um, of those sorts of things will be, I think it'll be really lucky for you to do that. Totally. And I've been I've been <laughs> keeping a, a diary since I found my, like, diary the other day from, like, grade three. So <laughs> I just think it's, yeah, it's a lovely thing to have but I know some people are staunchly like no I write it and then I burn it and I release it to the universe and that's great too I think it's it's also a gift for someone I'm just checking here so we have a book club we have lots and lots of lots of clubs gardening clubs art clubs and we also have events and so one of them is a book club and we read a book each month and and usually host the author this month Sally Hepworth Oh, gorgeous, yeah. We had Sam Neill a few months ago and most people were mainly interested in Jurassic Park. Yeah. (laughs) um, But last month we had Kate Grenville. and I'm Amazing. I do, yeah, of course. She is amazing and her most recent book was about her grandmother, great, sorry, great-grandmother, and she was lucky enough, she said, to have her mother's. So her mother was a note keeper and a journal keeper and she kept the most incredible just stories and jotted things down about everyone's life and her mother's life and her mother's life, so just the whole family. And, and Kate said she's just 
so lucky as an author now and a human to have these incredible records. So I think if you think about it from your children's perspective. Yeah, and I think for me, I remember reading Anne Frank's diary when I was really young and I just thought, wow, this young girl who, so I think that maybe what kicked it off from a young age, just thinking. Absolutely. And so many people would have had that same experience, but she wrote hers down and taught the world hugely, taught some lessons. Amazing. Look, not everything is negative though, or not that this has been negative, but not everything has been a challenge for you. Like you've had some incredible things happen in your life and accomplishments and even the work you're doing now is so important and special. But I guess a couple of questions. So we sometimes share in some of our group and club chats who we're chatting to. And so we had a couple of questions come through for you. Oh, lovely. Yeah. People were interested in. And one of them was really, it was a great observation. And it was many people facing adversity often discover hidden talents or passions. And when you've been through your adversities, have you had any hidden talents pop out? That was the question from Kate. Oh, that's a really lovely question. Hmm. I I suppose from a filmmaking perspective, I I was always interested in capturing other people's stories and documenting those. And it was really, it was that first day when my partner at the time said, I really think you should put down how you're feeling on camera and just capture it. And I was like, I really don't want to. (laughs) Like, it's just not of interest. But I was so grateful that a whole group of friends around me at that time did encourage me to do it because even though I'd been around cameras and around film sets for years as a producer, it was quite daunting, the idea of capturing something vulnerable. I wasn't like an influencer. I just not despise that whole thing, but, you know, this oversharing kind of culture. And so I think just beginning that process of just documenting and, and it was therapeutic just to have a place to put it and to talk it out loud to myself. In a way, it was another form of journaling, like video journaling. But I think... Yeah, being able to then tell that story in a compelling way, I feel like, you know, it was sort of aligned to what I was already doing anyway, but with a very different, intensely personal kind of story and, you know. Vulnerable, I guess, letting you actually be the story. Yes. More emotions and feelings and rather than just producing something incredible for someone else. Totally. And I think, so I don't know, it was a hidden talent, but I do feel it was funny when it came around to, because I was, I went back to Mamma Mia after treatment and I put this video together with my work wife at the time, Claire, who was at Mamma Mia. She edited it for me together, but I'd written this little script because I, I thought, what am I going to do with all this footage? I don't know. Maybe I'll make a doco. Oh, no, nah, boring. I'm boring too long. I don't want to do that. My thing is short form video. And she just did this beautiful edit and put it together for me. It's called You Only Get One Life. And that's actually what led to the book and all the things that have come since. But I remember showing it to Mia Friedman and she was like, let's, like, whatever you want to do with this, but like, let's get it up, let's get it out. And I remember just feeling, I didn't feel scared to put that out into the world. It was just like, yeah, that's what I looked like with no hair and no eyebrows. This is life. Like, this is life at its most raw and real. And I just felt, I thought coming back to my philosophy around content making and sharing, I was like, if this can be helpful, if this can give others hope, then that's good. That's a good thing. I'll put it out into the world. And so that was a really lovely experience. Which is a brave thing. And look, for people, if you're listening and you haven't watched that, it's really worth Googling and watching that. Um, it, it definitely will 
yeah, change of perspective. And there's so much to your story, gratitude, and there's a lot tied in. But I think that's really brave of you. It's something I personally have a lot of trouble with at the moment. So Connected AUs, this is our third year and there's been over 50,000 people in all our programs and we've had wow. Incredible. celebrities in different things and we have schools and corporates involved, businesses like at the moment Canva and Deloitte are participating and we have a corporate program. So all of this amazing stuff. But I still have such an issue personally with sharing myself in any way. Even this podcast has been, we could have done this years ago, sharing something about yourself is really difficult. So I think it's really brave of you just for the greater good or for whatever it really got you to that point in the end to be able to share it. And I think being within Mamma Mia at that time and learning from the likes of Mia Friedman and Holly Wainwright and just seeing these incredible women that the philosophy was very much when you share honestly, like it's very easy to pretend everything's fine and look at my perfect, amazing life. When you share honestly, it's really helpful for other people. You know, even this morning I was listening to a podcast with Jessie Stevens from Mamma Mia on Australian birth stories and she was saying how when she actually first found out she was pregnant, it was really overwhelming and it wasn't a feeling of joy. It was a feeling of like, oh, my goodness. And I thought that's such a helpful thing to put out into the world rather than like, yeah, we were ecstatic and everything was great because that's not a lot of people's experience. That's really interesting. I love that and I haven't actually thought of it that way. So maybe we are driven by helping others in care. You've just said that example. I have an amazing person working for us and she's actually a clinical psychologist but came for an admin job and she's amazing and will use her skills in so many ways. But when she was talking about her journey to like realizing that wasn't for her and stepping down and, and doing something different, I just naturally agreed with her and said, well, I actually am a bit the same. Like I'm a qualified lawyer. That's what I was doing before this. And then it was really the letterbox project. Most people don't realize how complex it is. They think it's just a silly pen pop program. And so for three years, I have like been like pretty embarrassed actually, to be honest about what I'm doing now compared to what I have been doing. And so, and that was the first time I actually had said that out loud to this person that I didn't even know. And I said, yeah, well, I was totally can understand. And so I love that you've just said that it's probably just that it's our natural instinct to help people and maybe help helping is the trigger to be able to share yeah, yourself. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, Mia used to always just say that, I remember. She always had a big impact on me when I was there at Mamma Mia. But when we share honestly, other women feel seen and heard and understood and they see their stories reflected in your story. So you actually, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but she'd always say you give a gift to the world when you're honest about, yeah, what's going on. Which I love. I mean, I have to write that down, although I've got it recorded. I don't want to keep you forever. I know it's probably uncomfortable sitting there 37 weeks pregnant, but <laughs> just on a couple of light notes, we always ask, and this question's asked everywhere, but I just love it. If you could sit down to finish a couple of questions, if you could sit down with anybody at all, alive or dead, who would it be? Who would you love to chat with? Oh, over this is such a good question. Because, you know, you've always got the go-tos of like Obama and Michelle Obama oh, yeah. and yeah. <laughs> who I saw speak last year and it was amazing. Well, I guess back on the the non-fake answer, you genuinely, if you could just sit down with someone, who would it be? It's so interesting getting the insights on So people, they could be they? alive or not alive or? I'm going to say actually <laughs> Reese Witherspoon <laughs> just because I love the impact she's having in the world and I think – she went from being legally blonde and this gorgeous actress that everyone loved 
but she has just taken storytelling to the next level in terms of being like she is a powerful force to be reckoned with on the global storytelling stage now. And I think stories and the way we tell stories and the people that have been able to tell stories till now, it's been so controlled by, let's be honest, old white blokes and it shapes who we are, it shapes how we behave, it shapes our relationships and how we interact in the world. And so I just think she's a force and I love what she's done with her production company, Hello Sunshine. And they say now with her book club, like she is the best-selling book creator now. Like it's like Oprah who, it's like it's Reese with a spoon. And I think she also, just like even the title of that company, Hello Sunshine, it's about joy. It's about bringing important stories to light. And yeah, yeah. not dissimilar to you. Like if you had to look at people and group people, you guys are pretty similar. Oh my gosh, me, I'm going to love you forever. <laughs> Thanks. And then Mia said I was basically Reese with a spoon. <laughs> Um, no look I love that answer that's so good everyone has such different answers to that question and then lastly people listening this it's really just for our community it's not a polished heavily edited podcast it's just giving people a feeling that they are sitting having a couple with us and a lot of our community are vulnerable Mm. and through tough times or have challenges themselves so if you could give a bit of advice to them just about connection. What's something you do to stay connected? Again, back to Bronte. Hers was so good. Her advice was when you think about someone, just for a second, instead of thinking, oh, I'm going to call them, but oh, that'll probably be like an hour phone call and I don't have time. I put kids to bed or maybe I'll call them on Sunday and then you never do. Yeah. When you think about them, just tell them straight away, even just in a text. I love that. I love that. And voice messages are great. I always say to everyone now, because like people just don't think it, like, like you said, you think, oh, I don't have time or capacity or energy to call someone. But I, I shoot off little voice notes to friends all the time now. And I've got one sitting there actually from this morning that a girlfriend sent me and she'll just send one once every couple of months. And they're always, she's a writer. So they're always like quite gorgeously scripted. And so yeah, voice memos are great. But you know, I, I think something that changed my life a few years ago was reading the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. My my uni professor, who I catch up with every year, my gorgeous documentary teacher from Film Days, he said, you've just got to read this book. And I was like, really? It was written in the 40s? Like, it's really old. It is a bit old and fuddy-duddy and whatever. But one of the points in it, I remember him saying, it said this, the most beautiful sound in the English language or in your native language is the sound of your name said lovingly. And it was just learn people's names. I do it when if I'm a restaurant or a cafe now. I always just take that second. And some people might roll their eyes, things have been annoying. But, you know, how it shifts the energy when you say to the waiter, oh, and what was your name? Suddenly you're not having this moment where they're serving you and you're having a moment of connection. And the place that leads to sometimes, oh, wow, that's a beautiful name. I've never heard that. Where's that from? What Do you know what it means? Oh, my gosh, I've never, I've ever actually never thought about what my name means. The next minute you're Googling their name. Did you know your name means joyful bringer of light or whatever? And they're like, what? And just... Interestingly, like that's actually how I met one of my my mentors who has gone on to support every project I've done and is a dear friend now. It was literally just around an event and I just asked his name. Like, so it's it, that that can actually change life, I think, just having those little moments of connection. And, yeah, if you've got a dog, even easier, but I don't at the moment. So dogs are a great icebreaker. <laughs> I love it. We're probably all pretty guilty of it. I'm guilty of I suppose your brain is already thinking of what's next. When you meet someone, you're like, oh, hi, say the name. And I'm always thinking of continuing the conversation. Totally. Stopping and listening to the person's name and remembering it. 
And my trick is I go, you have to try and use their name like three times in that first interaction for me to remember it because I used to be terrible with names and I'm like, actually, this is just a skill that anyone can learn. So I'd say, oh, Mia, Mia, oh, Mia, that's a beautiful name. How are you, Mia? Or if I forget it, I will literally say, I'm so sorry, what was your name? Mia, oh, Mia. And I say it three times and I probably think I'm a bit crazy, but then I never forget their name and yeah, and it's nice when people say your name. Yeah, and the other thing I've started doing is I keep a list of notes on my phone. I, I, like wherever I am, like when I was living in Bondi, I had my Bondi names, and so I'd be like the receptionist at the health clinic I go to, Ruth. Did it, you walk in? I tell you what, you walk into a room and you say to the receptionist who probably deals with 100 people a day and no one ever knows who she is, and you say, hi, Ruth, how you go? They'll nearly fall off their chair. But it's such, it, yeah, it's a little thing, but it's a beautiful moment of connection. It's, you've just said it, it's a beautiful moment of connection. It's also just showing people that you care. Yeah, respect. Yeah, you, you're a person. You're not just here to service what I need. We're all in this grand experiment of life together. And as Ben Lee used to say, we're all in this together. <laughs> I love it. I think at the end of this, so we're going to do 12 of these in the lead up to Christmas at the end. I might do a little post about these 12 bits of advice because they're following on like Bronte's was if you think of someone, tell them. Yours is that bit further. So these are actually going to be really tangible bits of advice. I love it. I love it. Oh, please send me when you do it. <laughs> I will. Look, I actually feel like I could just sit here genuinely and keep chatting to you. Maybe if there was a wine a bit later, you probably can't have one. but Not right now, but give me a few months, yeah. <laughs> but, look, I won't keep it. You've just been so generous with your time, honestly, in coming on and talking to us. You're such a busy person. We haven't even been able to talk about the campaign you're working on at the moment and all of your current work, but hopefully we can chat again then and continue later. But thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this hour together and, yeah, just so impressed with all the impact you're creating and all the connections that you're creating in the ways you're impacting people's lives so positively. What an amazing thing to be doing with your time and your life and your energy. Just gorgeous. Thank you. Well, thanks for being part of it. You're now part of it. That's very special. <laughs> Thank you, Bryony. Well, look, we'll, we'll be in touch. Amazing. Thank you, Mia. <laughs> if you haven't discovered Connected AU yet, this is your cue to find us. We have some of the most exciting, engaging and inclusive programs in the country to make sure everyone has access to community. From beautiful handwritten letters to online art clubs, book clubs and gardening clubs. We even have events every month with famous friends like Sam Neill. There is something for everyone and we know you will find joy.